So our next speaker this evening is Arja Baba, and um, we're delighted that she's here to talk to us about consumerism. Um, she's a writer and stylist, and she has over 230,000 followers on Instagram, which is how I have also discovered her. Um, her work explores the connections between contemporary consumerism, colonialism, and climate change. And her brilliant and thought-provoking new book is out next week, and it's called Consumed. We're really honored to have you with us today, Arja, and thank you very much. Um, over to you. Thank you for having me. What a beautiful and brilliant intro. Um, so to reintroduce myself, hi, I'm Aja. I'm the author of the upcoming book, Consumed, and I'm gonna try and round up some of the themes in a few short minutes, so bear with me, there's a lot. And before I jump into any of this, I wanna say, hello, I used to buy fast fashion. This is a judgment-free zone because to judge you would be to judge myself. As a matter of fact, I used to buy a lot of fast fashion, except I didn't even realize how much I was buying because it was so cheap, so no harm, right? Wrong. I distinctly remember one year in particular when I wasn't earning enough money to move out of my parents' basement yet again, and I had managed to blow a percentage of my salary at one fast fashion retailer alone without even realizing I had. I was curious with myself, but more than anything, I was curious about who else was living like this. And it turns out it's a lot of people, particularly within my generation. So let's talk about habits and how I began to feel really grossed out by this system. Consumerism is fed into our brains as children. So often we don't even question it and that's why we participate the way we do. You see it everywhere, but especially in the media and movies, that very clever makeover scene that we all actually love from Pretty Woman is hyping consumerism, right? Big mistake, huge. There's always a scene where a character, usually a woman, gets a makeover, and before you know it, the world is treating her differently. So it's no surprise that we inflate these ideas and conflate them with how we spend and why we should buy, but we don't even realize we do it. So while shopping fast fashion, I constantly told myself that this was what I wanted, but I couldn't fight this horrible feeling that something about the price felt really off. It was just too low. And I also couldn't fight the guilt I had every year when I would inevitably bag up bags of fast fashion and send them off to a charity shop because I felt compelled to keep buying. And some of the clothing that I was buying didn't actually last long enough to become permanent pieces of my wardrobe, which means I was making buying mistakes someone else's problem when I would give it to a charity. How did we get here? I seem to remember fast fashion not being a thing when I was a child in the 80s. So what changed? To keep it really frank, fast fashion became our go-to for shopping and the speed at which we purchase changed and it has been drastically spurred on with the rise of social media. So let's talk about the environmental impact, but how I got to this place where I was starting to really look at the system sideways. One summer, I volunteered in a local charity shop and I was doing this to collect shoes for um, a neighbor who runs a summer camp for kids in South Africa. Sometimes they arrive without shoes and you need shoes. So I basically said, I'll work here all summer long if you give me all the children's shoes that you get. They were great with that. 
I arrived and I was not prepared for the mountain of used clothing that I was going to be met with every day. That summer, I compared to Prometheus and the Great Eagle. Prometheus gets chained to the rock and he's being punished by Zeus. And every night an eagle arrives and picks his guts out. And then his guts regenerate, regrow. And the process would start again the very next day over and over again. So I would arrive to these mountainous bags of clothing and go, right, I'm going to get through it. And I would really put my all into it. And I would come back and it would just be like I had done nothing at all, which was really making me feel not that great when I would go to the mall. And what's more important is that we weren't selling it all. There was no way we possibly could. But I knew that the shop that I was volunteering in wasn't unique. And this was a microcosm in thousands of charity shops in America. So what I began to grasp was that this is a looming eco, eco that this is a looming environmental disaster. I just couldn't think of any other way. I knew that we weren't doing enough with this clothing. So here's where we bring on the first slide. All right, so here is some bummer news. First of all, what you need to grasp is that 100 billion garments are produced every year. Okay, so let's pause here and visualize what a billion looks like because our brains really struggle with that number. It's a thousand millions essentially. And to grasp the scale of a billion, I'll use a dollar bill analogy. If you placed one billion dollar bills edge to edge, they would wrap around the planet almost four times. So just keep that in your head for what comes next. Two, the average garment today is currently worn seven times. Three, 20% of all items go unsold. So let's say 20 billion items a year. Four, 18 million adults in the US suffer from a shopping addiction. Now I don't have the numbers for the UK, but I'd be willing to bet that if I sort of scale it up with the population, Percentage-wise, it's probably similar. And the reason I say this is because the UK is the biggest fast fashion consumer in Europe. Five, shoppers buy five times more clothing today than in 1980. Six, 60% of our garments contain fabrics derived from fossil fuels. Now, a lot of people don't really grasp that um, fossil fuels are plastic. We talk about plastic and we don't really understand that polyester is, comes from a fossil fuel, which essentially makes polyester plastic. Seven, the average shopper buys 68 items a year. And eight, a t-shirt and a pair of jeans use 5,000 gallons of water to produce. We're talking about growing cotton, et cetera. So next slide, here's a few more bummer facts. And then I'm gonna talk about some more elements, but I promise I'll try and leave you on a high note. Um, one, 1.5 trillion liters of water are used by the fashion industry every year, while 750 million humans in the world do not have access to clean drinking water. Two, 190,000 tons of textile microfibers are released into our ocean every year. When they're released into the ocean, the fish eat it. When we eat the fish, we eat the microfibers. Three, 5.2% of waste in our landfills is textile waste. So I want to go back to Oh, did I? Yes, I went on to the next slide. I want to go back to that figure about 20 billion items going unsold. As we hurdle towards climate emergency, one thing you need to keep in mind is we're looking at water shortages. 
If we're looking at water shortages and one t-shirt and one pair of jeans uses 5,000 gallons of water to produce, but we know that 20 billion items are being wasted a year, that is endless water being used for clothing we're not even gonna wear. But then let's add race and feminism to it. So to put it in the most simplest terms, if you bought something which isn't from a slow fashion brand recently, I invite you to look at the tag and see where it's made because there's a very good chance that if it's sold to you from a multinational brand, it's been made in the global South by non-white people being paid very low wages and working in terrible conditions. This system has been brought to you by years of colonialism and exploitation. Can I have the third slide now? And due to the system, we have disasters like the Rana, the Rana Plaza collapse, which took 1,134 innocent lives. And the workers of Rana Plaza had noticed that there were visible cracks in the building and were forced to work even though they feared for their lives. Through the system of outsourcing, brands can claim ignorance to impending disasters, but remember that every low price we see does indeed have a human cost. Uh, at the end of a garment's life cycle, if it doesn't get resold in a store, and most charity shops only realistically sell between 10 to 20% of its donations, it may very well end up in a landfill or in the global south, once again, where non-white people are forced to deal with it. So at the beginning of most garments life cycle, the burden is on non-white people. And at the end, it's the same. But to zoom out even more, 80% of garment workers are women, which makes it a compounding issue of oppression. And these racial lines don't just show up in the clothing manufacturing. It, of course, shows up in magazines and marketing and who gets to work in fashion, who gets to appear on the runway, who gets to design. So now we move on to our fourth slide. And I want to introduce you to Cantamanto and Accra, Ghana. Cantamanto is Accra, and Accra, Ghana is one such place that deals with our waste. And it's arguably the largest secondhand retailer in the world. Every week, 15 million items of clothing come to Cantamanto from the global north because the resale market moves at the same pace as fast fashion here. Naturally, retailers there cannot sell all the clothing being dumped in that part of the world. So what happens next is it ends up polluting Accra. Old Fatima is a neighborhood where people literally live side by side with the clothing waste. Additionally, the clothing donations have filled up the municipal dump years before locals had anticipated it would reach capacity. As an American, I can say one thing that Americans don't like is paying for other people's stuff. And if another country just decided to dump stuff on us, everyone would be furious because our tax system then has to mitigate it. That's what's happening there. So people ask about the solutions, and the truth is we've never faced a problem like this. So the solutions are multifaceted. Uh, we need regulation. We need industry regulation for workers and industry environmental regulation as well. The market is incredibly unregulated, and because of that, it's like the wild, wild west, and currently brands can pretty much do whatever they want. We also need binding contracts to protect garment workers. Currently, a big company outsourcing all of their labor has all the power, and that has to change. But what I think we need most is we desperately need to change how we buy and consume. 
And the solutions are going to look completely different to people depending on your privilege and access. And that will determine what you have the power to do. Many of us say we can't afford to shop differently, but I would argue that those with economic insecurities aren't the ones that are keeping the system profitable and building billionaires at the top of the food chain. And if you look at a lot of these brands, there's a lot of billionaires there. So it might be something we need to start questioning. If those of us who are really participating in this system and buying frequently and often step back, I actually think that we could maybe change the game. One thing that we can all afford to do, regardless of where you fall in economic scale, is just buy less clothing and think about what you're bringing into your wardrobe before you bring it home with you. Are you going to wear it a hundred times? Or is this just something that you're, you know, buying because you're feeling bad or feeling sad, or you need a, you know, a little bit of a boost for a job interview or a date? These are all things that we should investigate and things that I investigate within the book. My name is Aja. I once came to London, I fell in love with this city because of all the great things, but fast fashion was actually a part of that for a long time. And 15 years later, I'm back to tell us all that there's got to be a better way and consumed is my story. It's a story of how I found out. It's a, it's a story of how I found my way out of the cycle of overconsumption, which not only made me feel pretty bad, but also further funded a corrupt and unethical system. And there's a strong case within the pages for why and how you should maybe consider it too. Thank you. Aja, thank you so much. I'm so um, fascinated by your work. And I think that you told uh, your story incredibly compellingly and convincingly. It really is a manifesto for change and to make us all think about what we do with our money. So thank you so, so much. And Consumed is out next week. We're thrilled to have had the chance to have a preview of, um, of the ideas from your book.